Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome to a special Character Creation Spotlight episode, everyone. This episode, we've got Rich Howard with us to give us a quick rundown of a game Amelia and I can't shut up about. Descent into Midnight. Currently on Kickstarter and currently going for stretch goals. The game funded in just under 18 hours, and they are, as of this recording, about $1,600 away from meeting their second stretch goal. They already unlocked a one-shot by Eric Campbell from the Streampunks for the Streampunks channel. And every stretch goal they hit will give us another episode, up to a total of 12 episodes, for their campaign. I know I am excited to see a multi-session game of Descent into Midnight released into the wild, so you might as well get on this as soon as you can so we can blow through those stretch goals. Since this is a bonus episode, I don't have much more to announce since Monday, and we've only got a few more days until our next episode, so we will just leave it at that. So let's go ahead and dive into this amazing game and learn about all the new cool stuff that has come since we last covered this game in Series 18. Hmm. Series 18? Funded in 18 hours. Coincidence? Uh, probably. But still, it makes you think. Anyway, enjoy. Welcome to a special bonus episode of Character Creation Spotlight, everyone. In this bonus segment, we'll be shining a light on some current or up-and-coming games to keep an eye out for. I'm your host, Ryan, and today we are welcoming Rich Howard to talk about Descent into Midnight, a hope punk underwater fish horror uh, <laughs> remarkable RPG that is kickstarting right now. Uh, welcome to Character Creation Spotlight, and welcome back to Character Creation Cast, Rich. Uh, it's really great to have you again. Thanks so much. 
I think this is only my second time. I've got like five more until I get the t-shirt, right? I know. We, we got to get you out of that, that lucky seven. I know. Exactly. <laughs> uh, for those that missed our Blue Planet series, uh, first, it's a really great uh, series with a bunch of great guests. Uh, so go check that out if you haven't already. But for now, Rich, uh, could you start us off with first telling us a bit about yourself and what sort of other projects you have going on right now? Sure. Um, my name is Rich Howard. I am a podcaster and a game designer uh, in my off hours. Um, I What do I do, Ryan? Uh, <laughs> I am the co-host and co-creator of a podcast called Whelm, The Young Justice Files. And on Whelm, The Young Justice Files, we... Oh God, what do we hit? 215 episodes, I think, now. Yeah, um, it's, it's way up there. It's up there. Yeah, it's been going on for about three and a half years. Um, we break down the DC Comics animated series Young Justice and use yeah. that as a springboard to talk about the creative writing process, as well as talking about role-playing games as well. Um, in fact, we had a Masks actual play where we played between seasons one and two with the DC characters from Young Justice, and it was amazing, run by um, the creator of the game, uh, Brendan Conway. So I am also the concept lead for Descent to Midnight, which is the game we're going to talk about today. And you had my co-designers, Richard Kreutz-Landry and Taylor LeBresh, who are incredible, on the uh, Descent to Midnight full episodes. I'm sorry I could not make it to those. I think I was working over that weekend. Very cool. Thank you so much for being here, Rich. Uh, now, if you notice, uh, we already covered Descent into Midnight in a full series with uh, Richard Crate-Tindry and Taylor LeBrush. And uh, we know that uh, not all of our listeners hit every series. Uh, sure. So we'd like to cover this game in a shorter format uh, since we are already in the thick of the Kickstarter as of the release of this episode. That's right. Yeah, so since this is an abridged version of our normal format, we'll just be sticking to the highlights of the system with a special focus on character creation. So without further ado, how about we find out what this game is all about? What's in a game? Yeah. So at its heart, Descent to Midnight is a game about community and family and hope in the face of, of encroaching corruption. So... I love the fact that people constantly are like, I don't know how to describe this game. Uh, even after they've played it six or seven times, they still don't uh -huh. know how to describe it. Uh, you would think that would be a terrible PR point. Uh, but in our case, it seems to be more of a peak of curiosity than anything else. Mm -hmm. um, the, the kicker with this particular game, pun intended, I suppose, is uh, <laughs> Descend to Midnight takes place on a, a yet undiscovered, unknown alien aquatic world. Uh, that aquatic world has never been touched by humanity. You, the characters that you play are guardians of an advanced underwater civilization. That's biotechnology. Uh, that's uh, I'm sorry. That's technology is based on biotechnology and psionics. Um, I, we emphasize the fact that humanity has never been to this place uh, and never will go to this place mm -hmm. because we are leaning heavily into this concept of, of like what is sapience, what is sentience. Um, we have no canon setting necessarily. So even though we give these descriptions that there's biotechnology and there's psionics and there's a corruption and there's an advanced civilization, that's ba and you're playing basically aquatic fish people but 
You don't even have mm-hmm. to do that. And we'll get into that in a little bit either uh, as well. Yeah. So those are like bumpers for you. But really the setting can be, because we have no canon setting, we have no set species, and we have no set corruption, all of that, the game guides you into creating at the table with your friends at the table to create a setting and species and culture and corruption that's entirely unique to your gaming table and hits the points and hits the the dramatic uh, narrative concepts that you want to address at the table, which to us is more important than us trying to create a setting and convincing you that it's interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the collaborative world building in this game is phenomenal. Uh, I know we did a collaborative world building episode on one of our Evolution Cast series, um, but this this kind of even goes beyond that, and, and you're creating everything from scratch with one another at yeah. the table. And it doesn't, the thing, I, some people I would think anyway would be like, oh, I don't, that's a lot of work. It We try to make it not work. Yeah, uh, we, and that's the beauty of it. I think that's the thing in the game, and and you could speak to that being a player. Like we can design mm-hmm. it all we want, but the effectiveness of it is only determined by the people around the table, right? Yeah. So with a few with leading questions, uh, with playbooks, because we're a powered by the apocalypse system, we don't use mm-hmm. class systems or point by systems. We use playbooks, and those playbooks uh, for the characters. We have ten of them so far for the for the concepts for characters, and those playbooks are designed to kind of guide you into some ideas and concepts, seed ideas with the language, the beautiful, poetic, <laughs> fascinating mm-hmm. language that Taylor uses that is oh, yeah. very inspirational to the to the imagination, um, to give you some tools to bring to the table, um, literally to the table. One of the things for myself that was very important for me, I have a degree in marine biology, amongst other things, and my platform, when I started doing game design, um, seven or eight years ago on a professional level mm-hmm. uh, was to bring more aquatic settings and a more aquatic adventure to a wide range of role-playing games. The reason why is because I want people to, to understand and, and to be curious about the oceans that we have here. With Descent to Midnight, you can bring this that, that random fact that you learned from that documentary when you were six years old. Mm-hmm. You can bring it to the table and you don't need to know the science. Because here, it's an alien world, there's psionics, there's biotechnology. Use it as a seat of inspiration, not as, oh, I don't know enough about the ocean to be able to play in it. We don't want Mm -hmm. that. We want it to be a welcoming, enjoyable exploration of those things at the table and peak curiosity, not not quash it with details. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a lot like... um when you're trying to think of something that you want to use in a, a more traditional game and, and you say, oh, well, it's it's magic, so it just works. Yeah, and in our case, though, that can have some narrative, that can be a narrative crutch, that can be a, an issue uh, yeah. in many ways, which we try to use it as, look, if you want to play, a, if you want to play kind of a, a, a merfolk, like if you literally mm-hmm. want to make your setting Little Mermaid and have the psionics be magic, and have the corruption mm-hmm. be Ursula, it's all you, right? Yeah. So you can make whatever you want, um, but if you want to play a tuna, you can play a tuna. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter because in the society we assume there's a there's a blanket, you know, a conceit of the game that the species that are involved, however they're created, have enough level of psionic ability to be able to communicate between the species. Mm-hmm. however you want to describe that, and to be able to interact with their surroundings. You don't mm-hmm. have to have something like an octopus or something that has prehensile right. a, a tail or fingers. You don't need to have that. And the psionics help us kind of gloss over that so we can get to the point. Like, we're not yeah. talking about that. What we're talking about 
is the emotional consequences of choice and action, uh, mm -hmm. the emotional uh, consequences of things like um, of violence, of conflict resolution, de-escalation, mm -hmm. how does that work, um, and, and community building coming together. I don't want to get lost in, we, if we were focused on those other things about how the species work too much, we'd get lost in the weeds and we'd lose the story yep. we're trying to guide people to. Yeah, it's great because it has this uh, Powered by the Apocalypse backbone to it where uh, a lot of PBTA games allow you to interpret the stuff that's uh, in the rules. Like it'll it'll give you a small little prompt and you get to determine what that means to you and to your character and to the story. Yeah. Uh, my When I first experienced PBTA games, it was with Masks mm -hmm. and a brilliant game by Mark Richardson called Headspace. And oh, yeah, yeah. just the character generation in Headspace was incredible. I was actually a guest on One Shot Network. Uh, we did like a special, it was just a character creation episode for Headspace that I did with Jim McClure and uh, oh, nice. uh, who is a, a, a Meglish from Modifier mm -hmm. uh, and her now husband Dan and James. Uh, we were at, nice. I think that was, I think that was all of us. Uh, it was a while ago, but it was at a Gen Con and we recorded it. And I was like, this is incredible. All the, yeah. the, the way the leading questions created this fascinating story between us. And we hadn't even, quote unquote, played the game, even though character right. creation is playing the game. But in this case, I walked away and I was like, I have a whole, I have an epic novel in my head just uh -huh. from character creation. Same thing happens in Masks. That brilliant concept of those leading questions really, mm -hmm. really... The idea behind this concept, why I'm concept lead, a lot of the ideas that are in this game, I've been trying to do in role-playing games since I learned how to play in 1977 or 78. I, mm -hmm. I wanted to do some of these things, and I've tried to play with them, wrote, I don't know how many articles I have on Tribali. I have a whole column called From the Depths, talking about you know, using these things and these ideas yeah. for things like D&D &D and other systems. But they weren't really scratching the itch. I had an itch I couldn't get scratched, and I couldn't figure out what it was until I played Headspace. And I was like, wait a minute, you, your ability scores are emotions? Yeah. And, and masks, your ability scores are how do you perceive yourself? Uh -huh. I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> you're just totally reprogramming my brain. Um, and so when Richard and I were talking about this game, it came up from a Twitter joke. When we were talking about it, I was like, oh, what do I want? What, do, what things do I want to focus on? Hope, mm -hmm. community, altruism, right? Yeah. Drive, yeah. calm. Those are our five stats. And what does that mean to me? And what socio-emotional or psycho, psychosocial uh, or socio-emotional things I, do I want to focus on in a game? Yeah. And I think I can do it in this game. What? Uh, and also make it about, you know, the underwater ocean. Yeah. I, I, I'd be perfectly blunt. Like, Richard and I kind of came up with this general idea, and then we we immediately were like, we need somebody who knows PBTA better than we do right now, and we brought yeah. Taylor. I was like, Taylor, please. Taylor is an incredible human being and an amazing designer. Let's mm -hmm. bring him in. And so we all started getting this idea together. I was like, who's going to play this? Who's going to play Who's going to play this game? This like strange alien fish emotion game uh -huh. like that we're making. And we're like, we, we're loving it, and we can't stop working on it. No. Uh, but we, I have to tell you, I'm consistently floored with the reactions we're getting from the game after the mm -hmm. three and a half years of playtesting. Oh, um, absolutely. It's become way more than any one of us could have possibly done ourselves. And mm -hmm. the playtesters have pointed us in that direction. Yeah, so, I know. I know I'm extremely excited for this one. Yeah. Uh, it, the, this is the PBTA game that opened my brain, basically.
oh. uh, to to the possibilities of RPGs, which uh, which is fantastic. Well, we appreciate that. I'm shocked yeah. by the number of people like, oh, this is my first role playing game. I'm like, this was your choice. Okay, yep. uh, well, all right, well. Let's do this. Let's yeah. start you on a very different footing than I started uh-huh. <laughs> back in '77. Yep. Okay, my, my wife has my wife has played two role playing games uh, sessions, and they have both been uh, descent into me. <laughs> they both been descent. <laughs> nice. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's a really interesting uh, experience. Uh, so, so let's uh, let's find out a little bit more about this uh, this game. Uh, what sort of materials do we need to play Descent into Midnight? Yeah, absolutely. So we have ten playbooks. You'll need a playbook. Uh, someone will need uh, either the rulebook or what we have currently right now, and it's available right now on the Kickstarter. And we have uh, discussed, and I think we have settled on the idea that the Quick Start Guide and the playbooks will always be available for free. Nice. So anybody who wants to play the game can pick up the quick start guide and the playbooks and go to town. Um, so you'll need those two things, pencil, two six-sided mm-hmm. dice, and bring to the table that one thing you learned from that documentary that time when you were six. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and it doesn't matter what it is. More, mm-hmm. if, if it, you know, more than likely, and I've seen this at so many playtest tables, people come to the game and say, I don't know anything about marine science. They're inevitably yeah. the person that's teaching everyone at the table the marine science because oh, heck yeah. they think everybody's heard about an Aristotle's lantern or, you know, how uh, the how hermit crabs uh, change their shells in a conga line or whatever, yeah. whatever, whatever <laughs> random bizarre piece of information they have about the ocean. They're just like, well, I know this. So everybody must know this. And everybody at the table is like, excuse me. And then they're all mm-hmm. Googling amazing things. So, yeah. you know, uh, bring, bring that, whatever fascinates you, whatever you find beautiful and entrancing, whatever you find horrifying, whatever you find mm-hmm. scary, bring it to the table and, and introduce it at a level that you're comfortable with mm-hmm. and then, uh, fold it with other people's ideas. So those are the only real things that you need. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think another thing would be maybe like a sheet of paper, uh, cause there's a math mechanic that, uh, that you can use to map out your city and community. Well, actually, so yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, so when I say the playbook, you'll need a playbook. There are There is a community playbook, basically. <gasps> oh. So you can just print that out. And it, on the playbook, there are... So each individual character playbook, there are something called corruption moves. So in Power yeah. by the Apocalypse, you you're, the, the game is a conversation, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're having a conversation about what happens. If you, if you want to do something, you do it. Uh, until you run into like a mechanic or there's a question narratively about what interesting thing might happen. Mm-hmm. And so once you run into uh, a, a mechanic, it's called a move. Uh, each playbook has their own personal moves uh, that kind of describe narratively what they do in the world and the story you want to tell in that world. But each playbook also has three specific corruption moves. And so there's 30 individual individualized corruption moves in the game. There are two corruption moves that are common to everyone that you can choose from. So there's a total of five. Mm. Those two corruption moves we put on the on the uh, community playbook, so you can see what those are. And then there's also spaces to create new moves for your community itself, if you want to, mm. or advancements or things that you want to put on. And there's a space to draw out your community. So, oh, that's brilliant. So if you you can, by all means, do whatever detailed drawing you want of your community. And as the games go on, if you're playing a campaign, you add to the community as the spotlight goes to new districts or areas yeah. or arenas. Um, yeah, 
So you can you can have a piece of paper. We do have the community playbook that you can use. Okay. So what uh, you have a bunch of playbooks for this game. You said about ten of them. Yes. Uh, what sort of uh, character playbooks uh, can we expect from Descent into Midnight? Yeah, so our playbooks, uh, I mean, some people refer to them as character classes or, or like think of them as character classes, and I, I get that idea, um, but they're kind of not. So there is much about, mm-hmm. there's much about the story you want to tell with the character that you have as they are about what the character does in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a good example I, I give of that is, is a playbook we call The Redeemed. And The Redeemed character is a character who is created for conflict. Uh, so a, a, a machine of war, uh, someone who is created even like a social war, like someone who's like trained or has certain psychic abilities or, or, you know, something to deal with, uh, with politics in a, in a, in a, in a direct confrontational way, some way mm-hmm. you are a, you are a weapon of conflict and you are no longer that. And you are now a guardian of this society. Mm-hmm. So you are trying to, the playbook is about attempting to try and figure out what you are now. Where do you fit in, in society? When you were created for a thing and that thing is not, is not a thing you do anymore, mm-hmm. who are you? Yeah. So you can look at the, the, the Redeem playbook used to, and I think Taylor or Richard mentioned this in, in the, uh, the larger Descent to Midnight, but the, the Redeem playbook had originally been called The Living Weapon. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it just became a playbook that people were like, oh, it's the fighter. It's I'm just going to play that. Well, yeah. you can look at the redeem that way if you want to. But uh, just a, a lot like the bull in masks. Yep. It's like, oh, yeah, you can play Superboy if you want. But let me tell you, this playbook is going to lead you to some emotional places <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, and uh, and questions of who you are and why you exist. So, yeah, you know, you're welcome to go that route. Uh, other playbooks include like the empath. Uh, mm-hmm. that absorbs and supports other people's emotions and, and helps them kind of heal from traumas and things like that. Mm-hmm. But our empath also can absorb the corruption, take that corruption away from other people and absorb it into themselves. And then they can either choose to let that go or they can choose to use that corruption against the corruption. Mm-hmm. So you walk a thin line between how far do you go fighting fire with fire? And right. what are the consequences of what that is? So less, again, it, it, as, as much the story you want to tell with the playbook as it is what you just do in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of really great character types. Uh, Empath is one of my favorites. Uh, the Seeker. Seeker is, is also another. one of my favorites, yeah. So in yeah. our setting, along with the biotechnology and psionics, we have a, an, an aspect that you'll see in some other games. It, it's called the we call it the echo, and mm-hmm. it's it's a it's another dimension. Uh, in a game like D and D, they might call it something like the astral or ether, ethereal planes. Mm-hmm. In in our game, the echo is the the world behind worlds. I, I describe it as if if the echo is an ocean, the physical reality, the dimension that you live in, is the iceberg that has frozen and solidified out of that ocean. And that, yeah. that solidification, that ice, can be melted and reformed into new and different things. So mm-hmm. the physical world affects the echo, and the echo affects the physical world. So that's how our psionics work. And most people use psionics in a Descent to Midnight setting in the same way that we use our cell phones. Like, I have no idea how my phone works. I just turn mm-hmm. it on and press buttons and it works, right? <laughs> so if you have species that don't, that like one species that uh, communicates by chromatophores on their skin and another species that communicates, you know, uh, 
audibly or vocally, mm-hmm. um, they may not be able to communicate well together under normal circumstances. But in this setting, everybody's got enough telepathy to make that work. And yeah. the way telepathy works is someone has a thought or idea and they basically like toss it into the echo. The echo and the, the ripples from that thought, that idea, that emotion go through the echo to that other person and become and get interpreted in their brains the way that you know they can understand the concept mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're offering. Well, there are playbooks that all the playbooks kind of interact with the echo in, in, in different ways and small ways, but the seeker and the muse both deal with the, the, the echo in very, in, in much deeper ways. Mm-hmm. And in the case of the seeker where most people deal with that, the, the echo that's nearby and close to your reality, the seeker projects what we call their silhouette, um, their own personal echo reflection they can project that through the echo and go to other icebergs (laughs) they can Mm -hmm. they can explore other worlds other ideas they can explore the future the past they'll go out into the world they will they will psychically journey into the world but they're they're a form of psychonaut and they Mm -hmm. will they will bring back visions that they can then interpret to help the people around you or use those visions to to help to hurt or manipulate or whatever like some seekers may not have everybody's best intention in mind we don't know so the play all the playbooks are designed to be played along a theme or a trope but to be played in different ways so each time you play a playbook you could play empaths that are very very different from one another uh we have had make sure that each playbook has a core move that they always have but then they have many other moves that they choose from uh, and you choose two at a time. And those moves were designed in different combinations mm-hmm. to be able to reflect different concepts and ideas. Yeah. So you were, you were talking a little bit about uh, the moves uh, that the, the playbooks get and the moves that you select. Uh, what other sort of things do you need to do uh, for character creation at kind of like a, a higher level? Yeah, sure. So the main front page will have ideas for things of your attitude, um, what kind of creature you are, but these aren't specific things like a shark. They're more mm-hmm. like a colony of creatures, you know, or a lithe and lustrous or deceptively mm-hmm. delicate. These are concepts, right? Um, they're ideas to spark your imagination, to not tell you what you need to do on your, on the, on the, the, the session that you guys had, if I remember correctly, uh, Amelia had lithe and lustrous and she interpreted that as a iridescent clam, bitey yeah. clam, right? And other yeah. people may, may interpret those as different things. And again, in each of these 10 playbooks has three to four, uh, typically alliterative descriptions of whether, of who they, who they could be. And they're meant to inspire your imagination. Uh, mm-hmm. another place would be your homeland. Originally in the development, our homelands were very specific. It was like a kelp forest or a hydrothermal vent field. Right. And then mm-hmm. Taylor in his, in his poetic genius, uh, took all that out one night and said, said, you know, what? I'm going to try something different. And then he put in things like too many teeth or uh-huh. a center of civilization, you know, or uh, a, a warm light. Like those were the ideas of homelands. And that was, it was, again, reprogram my brain. It was brilliant yeah. because yeah. then it inspires you to think, how would I interpret this? Like how, mm-hmm. what is this interesting? The bone yard, is it a graveyard? Is it a, a place that generates life? Like what is mm-hmm. that? Instead of, again, us telling you something that we hope is interesting, we're seeding ideas so that you can tell us what your most interesting thing is. Uh, mm-hmm. The people who are guides for our game, game masters, we call them guides. 
I, I know I can speak for myself and Richard and Taylor. We are constantly blown away by yeah. what is brought to the table. Uh, we are as entertained as anyone at the table is about mm-hmm. what's happening in front of us. Um, yeah. and so that's amazing. So that playbooks, your, um, your stats, which we talked about earlier, um, stats, like mm-hmm. things like hope and community altruism drive and calm. Those are typically assigned depending on what your playbook is, but they can be adjusted as you get advancements. Um, mm-hmm. And that's basically it. Um, as you advance, yeah. as you interact more with the world around you, and as you interact more with the corruption, you may accumulate corruption. And when you accumulate a certain level of corruption, you will gain access to a corruption move. Uh, one of the three special ones that you have on your playbook or one of the two mm-hmm. that, are, that anyone can choose. Um, each, each, each corruption move can only be uh, selected and can only be triggered once. And it allows you to do something absolutely spectacular and breathtaking at, mm-hmm. at terrible, terrible consequence. Oh, so, yeah, yeah they can be really fascinating. One of the shared corruption moves that anyone can choose and that you will eventually have to choose if you've chosen your other four is how do you end the story of this character related to the corruption? Yeah. The thing is that you can pick that corruption move as your very first one if you find it narratively interesting. <laughs> Uh, and you can, which happened at a one shot, uh, that brought me to tears. It was incredible. Um, so mm-hmm. these corruption moves are fascinating to me in this idea that you can do these things that may save everyone's life, but then what is, what is the emotional consequence, the social consequence, the idea, the concept of what it is that you're doing afterwards that is also fascinating mm-hmm. to me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Gosh, (laughs) there's a lot of good stuff with, with (laughs) like, there's, there's not many steps to character creation, but there's so much to the characters that it is, it is so delicious uh, of a system to create characters for. (laughs) That's, that's a great quote, Ryan. Um, I, I think, I think any good game, tabletop game, like board game, that kind of thing has simple concepts and ideas that can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that way, teaching the game is generally pretty easy to do. And we were able to get into a story fairly quickly and a world fairly quickly and even go through uh, uh, some some conflict and resolve that conflict fairly quickly in a, in a three to four hour one shot to the point mm-hmm. where people walk away th- feeling like they have novels and novels of a story in their head just from a few hours of sitting at the table. Um, yeah. and, and that's something that's uh, it's a breathtaking thing to watch because of course, we love that it does that, and we were trying to head in that general direction, um, but somehow the pieces fell together quite well, and the playtesters gave us feedback that said, I want this. Do yeah. more of this. Lean into this. And we're like, hey, we're in. Let's do it yep. and see what happens. Yep. Um, and so it really was a collaborative effort, not just between the three designers, but all of the got hundreds of playtesters that we've been honored yeah, to have. Absolutely. We had 50 at one Gen Con. It was, oh, wow. it was amazing. So, um, <laughs> you were super grateful. So grateful. Yeah. Um, now we talked a little bit about, uh, now there's a community playbook. Yeah. Um, is there any other like 
big changes that happened within the last about six months or so since our uh, Descent into Midnight series went out? Yeah, that's that's a good question. The the big one that we were just introducing at the time, to the point where uh, you and Amelia had not heard of it yet, was that community playbook. So let me talk about that a little bit for those people who mm-hmm. heard the last one. So the community playbook was a concept that Taylor came up with that Richard and I were like, yes, please, mm-hmm. let's do this. Which is, as you're creating your world, you get a visual, you can have a visual. People learn differently and we're trying to do our best to be able to address the different ways that people learn and read and see as much as we can. So having a community playbook allows people to have a concrete thing at the table that they can look at um, that they're building together and really even an artifact that they can carry away after their campaign's done. But during the Mm -hmm. creation of of the community, when you take actions... Uh, those actions will affect the community and you will have harmony tokens and corruption tokens that are introduced onto the, onto the map. So when you fill your harmony track, which is like our experience points, and you gain a new advancement or you complete your corruption track and you gain corruption moves, you're placing these harmony and corruption tokens on the community in places that are narratively appropriate for the story that you're telling and the things that pushed you Mm -hmm. over the edge. Um, In some cases with corruption moves, you're placing more than one corruption token. And the way that we have it set currently for the long-term game is that a corruption, a a harmony token, can erase a corruption token. Nice. But a corruption token can never erase a harmony token. Oh, I love that. So for the long term game, what we're trying to do, and you don't get to see this in the one shots as much, but with the long form campaigns, what we're aiming for is this idea that over time, over time, hope, hope can and will help to push back the thing that's that's affecting the world around you in such a negative and antagonistic way. And so oh, okay. and so once you place a harmony token for the most part that harmony token stays where it is. Now, if a cor- corruption can be introduced into that space, but you just have harmony and corruption happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, if you place a harmony token in where a corruption token already exists, they cancel each other out. And so, okay. and so over time, you're going to see a lot of cor- you, corruption's very easy to rack up, particularly early in the early campaigns. And hope is a little harder to rack up. And you need to rack it up by doing a lot of things, learning from your mistakes. Like with a lot of Powered by the Apocalypse games, our game is a fail-forward style game. You gain mm-hmm. harmony from actions you take and things that you do that affect the world around you, but you also gain harmony when you roll low and and it's you roll a six or less and and you mm-hmm. make a mistake and you learn from that mistake and those harmony that you that harmony that you rack up can and the, the mistakes that you learn can help to move the community forward together as a whole mm-hmm. gosh I, I i've got i got goosebumps when you were talking about the the long-term implications of the harmony and corruption and yeah and i like, have to tell you like the the concept of the 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 community playbook and placing these tokens was taylor and it was yeah. it was absolutely brilliant. And through playtesting back and forth, we started to see kind of this interaction of what could happen if, you know, what if harmony yeah. tokens cancel, you know, corruption tokens, but corruption tokens can never cancel harmony. And we were all like, that's the through line of the whole story. Yeah, <laughs> that's it's beautiful. That's what we want to see. Right. And so Gosh. and so uh, and then the more harmony or the more corruption that stacks up narratively. You could use it as a timer or a clock like some other PBTA games. You could certainly do that. Um, mm-hmm. Or you could just look at it and say, like, look, we have one harmony here, but there's six corruption. What does that mean? 
Yeah. Right. What does that mean yeah. here? Like there's a seed of hope that's, that's <laughs> being crushed. Like, what does that mean narratively to us? And then mm-hmm. as a, as a group, as a, as a table, you can come up with the idea of like, man, what are we doing here? Like, are we losing this place? Like, does mm-hmm. this place break off into the abyss? Like, what is going on here? Even though there's hope alive here, it's just can't do much of anything. Right. right? So, so we're leaving that a little bit more open to interpretation. But those individuals, like my, like particularly myself, because I came from you know more of a um, simulationist background, you know, for mm-hmm. for decades, I could look at that and say, oh, you know what? I'm going to think like, all right, as a guide, you know, when when we hit three corruption here, I'm going to do X. You know, if mm-hmm. this hits five corruption, I think I'm going to move this concept forward, right? Yeah. And you can use it as a bit of a guideline if you want to do that. It gives you something to hold on to if you want to, or you can interpret it a little more loosely if, if you're more free form and, and mind's eye. It, it can be right. used either way, and that's something that we tried to do with a lot of the game. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I, I know we're running a little low on time, uh, but there's one question I had left for you. Sure. Um, is there anything interesting from the Kickstarter that you'd like to highlight that we haven't gone over? Uh, <laughs> thank you for that. Actually, yes. So um, we all have several articles. There's a currently an article right now on tribality.com where you can see our specific tiers. Mm-hmm. The ones that exist will be that way. We are contemplating adding a tier or two um, because of some things that have come up recently, uh, particularly having to do with the... Um, uh, a streaming platform that is going to be doing a Descent into Midnight series uh, based on our stretch goals, what we achieve. Mm-hmm. And so we're looking at adapting things to that. But at at the $40 level, you get a hardback full-color book plus mm-hmm. the PDF. At the $80 level, you get that PDF and that hardback copy, and you can have a hardback copy donated to a school, an after-school program, Mm-hmm. Uh, an aquarium, uh, a, a, a library, any place that you want to have a copy donated to, we will ship the, a copy to that location. At the hun- awesome. at the hundred at every level above that, you get that donation copy. So nice. at eighty at, at a, the next level, which is at one hundred and ten, you get the hardback copy we already talked about. You get the donation mm-hmm. copy. And you get the Kickstarter exclusive copy. When we decided to do a Kickstarter exclusive copy at 110, we had a long conversation. We said, look, I love my exclusive copies of stuff. Also, I'd like to have an everyday copy I can beat up and have at the table. And since we want that, let's do that. And in addition to that, we're donating a book too. So yeah. the $110 level, we think that the people who can afford that will, will want to look at that level. And because you can, you can donate, you can, you can get a copy for yourself uh, mm-hmm. or give it to a friend and have the Kickstarter exclusive. And every yeah. level from $110 up gets all three of those. That's amazing. Plus the PDF, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's something that we're really, really proud of. This was inspired by um, Bree Sheldon's Kickstarter for Turn, which is a brilliant mm-hmm. PBTA game. Please go check it out. Um, their Kickstarter that they had allowed me to get a copy for myself and b- purchase a copy to donate to the community. And mm-hmm. I jumped on that in a heartbeat because I wanted to support Turn with more money, but I was like, well, I just you know and it gave me this thing of like oh i also feel good because i want to give something and we wanted to do something very similar this game is focused on not just social socio-emotional um concepts and ideas that we really want to introduce into the world 
but yeah. also the educational aspects of marine science and evolutionary biology and ecology and things that you could that teachers and, and uh, educators can introduce at their tables. So it's covering everything that I wanted to learn when I was a kid. Uh, my wife yep. is a teacher as well. She was a special education teacher for over a decade. Um, she oh, and I talked about a lot of these things as well as we were developing, um, not just the game, but particularly toward the end of the game, like how are we making mm -hmm. this more accessible and, and what, do we, what, what are our goals? And, and this is how we talk about the raising of our children as well. So yeah. uh, taking a game like, like I love the D&D after school programs. I love seeing mm -hmm. how popular that they are. It's fantastic. Please, I'm, my kids will be playing it a ton as well. Mm -hmm. Also, perhaps we're thinking Descent into Midnight for, again, these different socio-emotional concepts and stories, having something a little different, and also focusing on some educational aspects as well. Um, and I think being able to uh, lean into this player agency and allow particularly the younger kids who are learning to harness that imagination, give them the agency mm -hmm. to be a part of the story and to, yeah. to, to be a story, part of the story and have the guide uh, that it may that may be the adult to start be able to sit back be quiet and listen to the amazing things that can come out of a child's mouth or, or, or young player's mouth when they're allowed to speak mm -hmm. right just sit and listen it's incredible oh, yeah oh so, my gosh so that's something that we're really excited about is the donation tiers and then the 110 dollar level we think people are going to be quite interested in as well absolutely that's awesome uh, as if I couldn't be more excited about this game. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. We're hoping the Kickstarter itself, uh, as we keep adding things and, and we're talking about it, we hope that we put as much intention into what we're doing and why we're doing it with the Kickstarter as we did with the game. And mm -hmm. um, that we want to walk away from this saying that we had a successful game and a successful Kickstarter, but also uh, not just you know financially or whatnot, but also that we're proud of what we did and, and what we can do and hopefully lift up the community as much as we possibly can um, from our tiny little corner of the corner of the pond. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Rich, thank you so much for joining me to talk about Descent into Midnight. Uh, you are now officially one episode closer to your teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I got five more to go. <laughs> we'll get there someday. That's right. <laughs> Could you go ahead and remind everyone where they can find you online? Uh, absolutely. Uh, I encourage people to just pop over. The easiest is to pop over to at D-I-M-R-P-G. That's at DIMRPG for the Descent of the Midnight Kickstarter. Um, from that Twitter feed that's uh, pinned up there, you can find links to myself, to Richard, and to Taylor. It's just the easiest way to, to link straight over to us. Um, mm -hmm. You can find us there. I am on Facebook as well. Uh, I am going to be shutting my Facebook down to just probably family uh, after a mm -hmm. while and focusing on some other things, including a, a new website I'm working on and some other things. But for now, uh, just link over to Twitter and you can find us at DIMRPG or online descentintomidnight.com. Uh, www.descentintomidnight.com Oh, and if awesome. you if you want to check out the Kickstarter, you can do, go to uh, dimrpg.io slash ks mm -hmm. So dimrpg.io slash forward slash ks should take you to the Kickstarter Very cool. Uh, I am very happy that that URL exists <laughs> So are we <laughs> Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for joining me for this special bonus episode of Character Creation Spotlight. And thanks for everyone for tuning in. Don't forget to check out the Descent into Midnight Kickstarter, which kicked off this last Saturday. And we'll be back at our regular time next week. We'll see you then. 
your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Character Creation Cast is a production of the One Shot Podcast Network and can be found online at www.charactercreationcast.com. Head to the website to get more information on our hosts, this show, and even our press kit. Character Creation Cast can also be found on Twitter at CreationCast or on our Discord server at discord.charactercreationcast.com. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Bolter, and I can be found on Twitter at Lord Neptune or online at lordneptune.com. Our other host, Amelia Antrim, can be found on Twitter at Ginger Reckoning. Music for this episode is used with a Creative Commons license or with permission from the podcast they originated from. Further information can be found within the show notes. Our main theme music is Hero Remix by Steve Combs and is used with a Creative Commons license. This podcast is owned by us under Creative Commons. This episode was edited by Ryan Bolter. Further information for the game systems used and today's guests can be found in the show notes. If you'd like to leave us a rating or review, we have links to various review platforms out there, including Apple Podcasts, in our show notes. Also, check the show notes for links to our other projects. Thanks for joining us. And remember, we find that the best part of any role-playing game is character creation. So go out there and create some amazing people. We will see you next time. Now we gotta read some show blurbs. Show blurbs. Show blurbs. Show blurbs. Show blurbs. Character Creation Cast is hosted by the OneShot Podcast Network. If you enjoyed our show, visit OneShotPodcast.com, where you will find other great shows like Total Party Kill. Total Party Kill is a weekly live Twitch stream where John Patrick Cohen, Eddie Klinker, and James Dugan play through Cephalofair Games' Gloomhaven. Join them in the stream to play along through the action and interact with a constantly changing cast of characters and special guests. Or watch them after the fact on the OneShot YouTube channel. TPK airs Thursdays at 7 p.m. Central Time at twitch.tv slash OneShotRPG. Do you love Star Wars but kind of wish you didn't? Then join us on the Expounded Universe podcast as we read through all the old Star Wars novels that took the galaxy far, far away that you know and love 
and turned it into a place where Han Solo can punch a giant otter and Luke Skywalker almost gets eaten by a giant gold-plated pillar of Dinty Moore beef stew. Did you like Princess Leia? Well, too bad! Now she's a space racist! Don't believe me? You'll just have to listen to find out on Expounded Universe.